0: Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at www.mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today in the lecture hall on the 12th story of the Mercantile Building are Angela Patochnik, associate Pro- professor of philosophy and new library member. Hello. Becky Call, attorney at Conan and Patton, and member of the library. Hi. And myself, Gabrielle Blocher, a board member uh, here at the library. Uh, We will be discussing Voices from Chernobyl uh, by Svetlana Alexievich. And a warning, there will be spoilers discussed today, so proceed at your own discretion. On 26 April 1986, the worst nuclear power plant accident in history occurred in the former USSR. It was in a town called Pripyat in Ukraine, which was a Soviet state at the time, and about 60% of the radioactive fallout landed in, Bel- in Belarus, also a Soviet state at the time. We are here today to talk about a book by 2015's Nobel Prize in Literature winner, Svetlana Alexievich, called Voices from Chernobyl, An Oral History of a Nuclear Disaster. For this book, from Wikipedia, Alexievich interviewed more than 500 eyewitnesses, including firefighters, liquidators, which are members of the cleanup team, politicians, physicians, physicists, and ordinary citizens over a period of 10 years following the incident. The book relates the psychological and personal tragedy, tragedy of the Chernobyl accident and explores the experiences of individuals and how the disaster affected their lives. She is the first writer from Belarus to receive the Nobel Prize in Literature. So we're just gonna start out. Um, I'd like to just get everyone's thoughts on the book, just general thoughts, how did it make you feel, did you like it, thumbs up, thumbs down. Becky, you want to start sure i
1: I enjoyed the book a lot. I thought it was really interesting. um Chernobyl is something that I feel like I've been aware of my whole life, um but not something that I've ever known a lot about like when we started reading this book and, and even in the introduction, there's a description about a woman who's caring for her husband as he's dying from acute radiation sickness, and it occurred to me like i I actually have no idea how radiation makes you sick or or kills you mm-hmm. um. And then the the idea of um, the impact that Soviet culture had on how people responded and how people reacted was really, really interesting and really enlightening to me. Um, And this is something I hope we'll talk about a little bit more, but um, I wasn't wild about the medium for presenting this information. Um, it's a book called Voices from Chernobyl, and at a few different places in the book there are um, brackets and italics describing how the people are reacting as they're telling their story. And in those places where it describes, you know, stopped crying or pauses for a while, you feel like you it, it reminds you that you're missing so much of the story by not hearing what's going on in these people's um, voices as they're speaking to her or seeing their reactions, it it reminds you that that particular medium is so flat for something like this. But otherwise, th- I thought it was a really, really great book and I enjoyed it a lot. Mm, mm-hmm.
2: I'll start with a really closely related comment to that, which is just that I found myself in most cases the the accounts right, which can be from uh, one paragraph to several pages, are um, they precede the identity, the name, and the sort of um, role in society of the person who's speaking. I found myself in almost all cases cases flipping to the end to be able to of of the the account right to be able to figure like visualize the person in question and then go back and. So you're a faster the, learner than I am because
1: even at the end of the book, I would get. To the end of the chapter and read the the title and think, oh, this makes so much more sense now that I know who this person is and what their role is. So you were you learned faster than I
2: was if you were flipping ahead early on. <laughs> um, so I also I also really liked it. I um I found it a bit challenging too. So I'm someone who prefers sort of abstract, ba- fa- fact-based accounts of things, right? So early on, I found myself yearning for just, okay, I just want to know what happened, mm-hmm. right? But um, but in in sort of the way in which it was challenging, I found it very interesting, and, and it felt like it, I mean, sort of as you suggested, it, it led me to um, appreciate and understand and feel like I... I um, Recognized and had a, a deep feeling for a little bit, <laughs> scratching the surface anyway for mm-hmm. for um, the event and what it meant to to all of these people in a way that I wouldn't have if I had just you know read up on on the event itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I found it really enjoyable in that in that regard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's I, I guess it's mandatory reading to understand. And I by the way, so after reading this uh, book and. One of going back several years in my professional life, um, I did some work with um, some nuclear engineers um, who had a really, really interesting perspective about this disaster. So, Becky, you mentioned, um, you know, two things. There's the there's sort of the the technicality, I guess, of this book, uh, of the occurrences of what happened, and then there's also Soviet culture. I think those are two things that. Reading simply reading this book um, doesn't give enough of a sort of fact-based perspective. As much as there's a fact-based perspective on what a culture is, um, and so that, that's that's hard. And I still, frankly, I did a little bit of research after reading this book. I still don't understand acute radiation sickness by any means. And other, I mean, these descriptions are pretty um, awful. But there's right. there's. I think that there's actually, frankly, a, a, I think these might be how these two those two topics are related. That there is a reason that we we don't have a lot of inform. I think it's it's on purpose. This is my opinion that we don't have a lot of information about the long term effect long term effects of radiation. Angela, you're nodding your head, and I want to know why. <laughs> um, well, okay,
2: so I, I, I'm I'm not sure how to interpret. There are two different ways to interpret what you just said. But yeah. one thing that I thought you might be saying was that. Um, uh, that it was an intentional part of this account that we don 't get the sort of view of what 's going on right mm-hmm. all, all we see are the series of snapshots of perspective of perspectives of what 's going on um you know from the individuals involved who in many cases, though not all right we have the physicists, mm-hmm. um, but in many cases people just aren 't well-prepared even after the event to really be able to wrap their heads around what went on and Mm -hmm. what the repercussions will be. Mm -hmm. And that seems like, I mean, that seems like one of the really important parts of the perspective that we get here Mm -hmm. at any rate. So I thought that might have been part of what you had in mind, that Mm -hmm. it's, that it's um, sort of intentional, intentional that we're left in the dark about, Mm -hmm. you know, what's, you know, quote unquote, really going Mm -hmm. on. Um,
0: so like, she, oh, that's interesting. So she is using that, are you saying like she as an author is almost using that as a de- device? It felt like that to me. make us feel the way that, I, that's, I think that's true. That's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. But it helps us empathize with the the people that she clearly wants us to empathize with.
1: That is really interesting. I had assumed as I was reading it along that the other people who were reading this or that her intended audience would have had a base level of knowledge that I was just completely lacking. So when she talks about, you know, am I supposed to understand what it means to have so many rotagen or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, this level of exposure to radiation, am I supposed to understand what that means? Um, And do other people reading this book understand what that means? Um, so maybe that, 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 w- that would be interesting if that was an intentional, um, use on her part or omission on her part.
2: Well, and the, the Roentgen or however mm-hmm. I'm supposed to pronounce it, that's something I should have figured out, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, might be a case of that. So I then eventually like couldn't handle it and I looked up, right, what, mm-hmm. what, uh, that measure is and, and apparently it's not a, a sort of sanctioned measure anymore mm. that it's, it doesn't track, and I don't remember the details, but it doesn't track perfectly, right? Um, how the radiation actually affects people or something mm-hmm. it's it's flawed in some way plus it's been multiply defined in different ways so even that when they <laughs> refer to that there's no way for us to really know mm, right what what exactly it means other than there was a ton of radiation
0: yeah <laughs> so there's what your your statement makes me think of two things one is Reason number two that we might not know, uh, or that we do not know uh, these things about which we are curious, which is like the true and real objective long-term impact on the community and the people. And so reason number two, so reason number one might be that um, Alexievich kept it out of her book that we've just read. Reason number two is that the Soviet, former Soviet Union slash Russia doesn't want anyone to know.
1: I think it's more likely the latter in this Mm. situation. Gabby is a wonderful host. she provided some suggested reading to mm. us in relation to this, and one of them was you know very simply the Wikipedia page about the Chernobyl nuclear disaster yeah. and there was some explanation at the end about the um, the injuries that people suffered as a result of this disaster. Um, and one of my favorite lines from the book from the introduction was that this was a disaster that had so many more injuries than fatalities that mm-hmm. we don't even know the scope of the injuries even though the fatalities are actually pretty quantifiable. Mm-hmm. But in this Wikipedia page that you shared, it talked a lot about how in the statistics that are being collected by um, the Russian government, the Ukrainian government, the Belarusian government mm-hmm. at this time, um, in a lot of cases deaths and sicknesses that should be attributed to radiation are instead attributed to other cardiac problems right. or thyroid problems and it's totally obfuscated. Yeah. So by comparison, the nuclear disaster that happened at Fukushima in Japan with the um, the tidal wave, the tsunami in 2012, they're collecting and reporting numbers that show impact in such greater numbers and so much sooner than you would have expected based on the information that came out of Chernobyl, mm-hmm. that it's almost like two completely different disasters. Yeah. So I, I think more likely than, um, at least in terms of the the scope of the injury, more likely than it being a, an intentional point by Alexievich, it's probably also this incredible obfuscation mm-hmm. and cover up by the government.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, but I wonder too about. Uh, so yeah, and I think that data—that's uh, like, as a you know regular old person who likes data and is interested in it. I find that a very daunt, like very daunting. There are many, many community members, the impression I get by from this book at least is that there are many, many community members who never left and have been right? Did you guys get that impression from the right, book? Yeah, there are right. a bunch of people who are just like, Yeah, I've been I've been just farming my potatoes and hanging out (laughs) I still it's right there like I can see the plant right there but I I just never left Um, right you know these old ladies (laughs) and they the impression I got uh, you know very anecdotally I guess is that they didn't uh, you know suffer any anything from it I think somewhere maybe it was in post-research but I can't remember I think the older a person is the less likely this has an impact on them
1: that, so that was in right. the book. That was one of the anecdotes in the mm-hmm. book. And it was w- one of the liquidators who mm-hmm. were telling people to leave their town. And the idea was that an old woman milked her cow and brought the milk to the liquidators and said, can you test this for me? Can I drink it? And instead of giving her a straight answer, he said, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> and basically said, you're old enough to drink the milk. Yeah. But, and I think the implication was not necessarily that if you're older, it will not affect you as much, but it was you're older, go ahead and yeah. drink the radioactive milk, you're going to meet your end one way or another.
0: But I think there is a scientific reason for that, which is that it's about regenerative cell growth. Oh, right, which, right, and right. So that's why babies, that's why it was, it's tr- the, tr- the like, most, uh, you know, I thought the most, um, um, Awful tragedy to read a, tragedies within this book, and then again researching about it afterwards has just been the impact on children mm-hmm. and in in utero you know fetuses and it's just really and it's I think that's why it's and it also affects people's reproductive systems, even pre pre <laughs> fetal tissue, uh, mm-hmm. just like the eggs and the sperm get all messed up by radiation
2: yeah in both in both reproduction and then in development through childhood, right? Mm. The sort of more jobs your genes have to do, the more ways there
0: are that things can go wrong Mm -hmm. or whatever. Do you have some expertise in this, Angela? (laughs) Good care to share. Not more than what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) still some expertise. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and the other thing though that I was thinking, what you were saying, Becky, made me think about is the fact that the government did, I mean, it's like, I, I want to understand Russia, the Russian mind, so bad. But I can't. Um, but one of the things is like sending, sending, you know, s- soldiers, uh, f- flying helicopters over. And like they didn't. I, I don't. I don't know how much of that was incompetence or mm-hmm. willful, willful negligence or what.
1: I, I don't know either. I mean, that was that was kind of horrifying to me. And when they described, there was at one point later in the book when they were interviewing one of the soldiers, one of the liquidators, and they described the failure of the American robots after 30 minutes of working at the site, and the Japanese robots failed after two hours of working on the site, but the Russian robots continued to work for months and months because they were people, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. It was horrifying. Mm-hmm. But th- you got the impression that that was the, the you know, the view that the government took of them that it, maybe it was intentional. Like we understand the problems that this is causing for everything else around, but it's got to be dealt with. And our human capital is how we're going to manage it. Mm
2: Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like, it seemed like that sort of, um, contrast was really important in a few different of the themes that I identified anyway, in, in these different accounts. Right. So, so you have, um, to the extent that uh, the Soviet government um, uh dealt with the aftermath right and tried to take care of it, it was just throwing people at it mm-hmm. but um so so that in itself, right the sort of um centralized control and in a sense disregard for human life but it's it's that that's even not quite the way that I want to put it sort of sympathetically something mm-hmm. like something more like um uh the very specific um vision they had for, that, that at least they seemed to, to communicate for um, what the role of the individual was in the society, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of it. But then, but then beyond that even, um, it seemed like that was broadly shared, right? So many of the people that we hear from say, yeah, and of course I volunteered, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. they, without, without irony, when they quote-unquote volunteered, right, when there was a car outside their house mm-hmm. saying, leave with us now, take yeah. nothing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this sort of pride in you know, being heroes in this regard, and and um, it seemed like something that um, a lot of the population, a mindset that a lot of the population bought into, mm-hmm. at least prior to Chernobyl. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that seemed that seemed significant, and also that that it wasn't just just accidental, right? It, that that the robots broke down, right? That you couldn't have machines. The machines broke down, mm-hmm. but it, it was people who could sort of sustain it long enough to do the job and then, you know, suffer in the ways that mm-hmm. they would. Mm-hmm. So
1: I was f- flipping through um, my notes and my highlighting because there was a, a part about, th- th- one of the people interviewed explained really well this idea about faith in, in man versus faith in the individual that I thought was so interesting. And it talks about the kind of degradation of this faith in man between what they call the war generation, which I th- I think was referring to the World War II generation, correct?
0: Uh, right, yeah, so this, yeah, so little bit of research that I did, I think, yeah, uh, there was a lot of talk about, so there's the, yeah, World War II, generally, Is when, when they're talking about the war, war. and um, some crazy shit happened in in the Soviet Union in World War II that, you know, didn't didn't happen here, right. like, the Le- and the Leningrad blockade was a big thing that I had, that's referred to frequently throughout this book, I didn't know anything about it, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, And uh, yeah, that was just a a time during World War II when a bunch of people were basically starved out of Leningrad um, by the Nazis. And so that's what people were talking about. But also shortly around the time, yeah, during, so this is 86 and I believe that was during the Afghanistan invasion. But that wasn't like a big, as big of a war. And it okay. wasn't a thing that everyone agreed to. So anyway, yeah. So so That's the idea it, yeah. that there's World this war
1: degradation and like the, the, essentially the ideals of communism between the great war and nineties mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when this, when these interviews are taking place. Mm-hmm. So this person who is a former chief engineer for the Institute for Nuclear Energy says they, meaning like the greatest generation, they had faith that we lived well and fairly. And that for us was the highest thing, that that for us, man was the highest thing, the Mm -hmm. measure of all things. Because when you lose that faith, you're no longer a participant, you're an also ran, you have no reason to exist. Mm -hmm. So if you're not part of this collective, what purpose do you serve at all? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the individual outside of the group has no meaning. Of course you can throw 300,000 people at this disaster, Mm -hmm. they're individuals, it's for the collective good mm. that this is all gonna take place and mm. gonna, you know, we're gonna fight this. Mm. That was an incredible mindset for me to come across so many times
2: Yeah. in this. One one interesting way it seems like you saw that play out is, right, uh, we get to the book, um, get to the point in the book, um, rather late, it happened a couple of times and I think the, the third part, the final part of the book where um, finally, you know, the physicist says, you know, um, forget it. I'm just going to get my wife's address book, my daughter's address book, call everyone in there, tell them to take iodine, yeah. right? And and apparently the the by and large the response was, okay, thank you for calling, goodbye now. Mm-hmm. And he got the idea that just no one, everyone said no. You know, right. they'll tell me if I need to do anything. You know, I'm, right. I'm part of this thing. I mm-hmm. I believe in it. Done. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, that was incredible to me, and the idea that he.
1: D- that same physicist, his his story was, was shocking to me out of this group. The idea that he, I think, tried to call home to his wife mm-hmm. and was nervous about what words he could use explaining mm-hmm. to her what had happened mm-hmm. and was giving her these very, um, you know, abs- these very veiled instructions, wrap the food in plastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was supposed to understand that there was going to be that and there she was she was an engineer fallout. too, right? So she right. Was,
0: she he knew that she would know she would know that she should what get clued in. Yeah.
1: But the idea that he couldn't have a frank conversation with his wife about there has been a nuclear disaster yeah. and we mm-hmm. need to act now.
0: Yeah.
1: But th- that was so bizarre.
0: So what I'm struggling with at this moment is that everything we're talking about, I do not, I cannot say how it's any different from the way we currently live here in the United States, like at all, like would i would be afraid of my phone being tapped if i was if I were a nuclear engineer um employed by our state our system like mm-hmm. we, that happens right and i and I think also the whole volunteer thing like that's mm-hmm. what that's a that's a thing here too absolutely i feel that that's um you know as i i've been sort of trying to articulate this recently um in thought about myself being a veteran and the fact that people thank me for my service and i think the best way to say it is quite simply that people <laughs> simply thank me for my service it's just it's just the service itself it's not any aspect of what it is it's mm-hmm. not any aspect of what the state for which i did my service is it's not you know any aspect of whether that state or system is good or bad and i mean you know like that's that's our ethos here in the here in this country, and I think it's it's my it's uh it's i don't know you know I was educated in the United States in the eighties and we learned all about how awful we still were learning hundred percent how awful communism was, and I think at that point it was uh, this is proof like uh, you know I was right. in elementary school in the eighty six and this this happened so right. like, yep, it was kind of messed up, but i'm not sure I c i can't attribute any of the things we're talking about to failed communism as opposed to, um, blind faith in a system. Can you guys?
2: No, I, I, I think that's right. I also think that it comes in degrees, right? So, um, I mean, what comes to mind, this is off topic, but, um, I, uh, in the last few months heard, um, a colleague of mine, um, Sarah Stitzlein, mm-hmm. um, uh, talk about the importance of teaching dissent, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, uh, mm-hmm. Starting to think about that made me recognize how much of, you talked about, right, mm-hmm. um, uh, your education, how much of our education does exactly the opposite of that, right? So so it absolutely seems like um, a broader phenomenon, right, that, mm-hmm. that we want to be sort of cautious about just rolling our eyes and saying, oh, communism, mm-hmm. right? Um, but on the other hand, it seems like that all also has to come in degrees and... Um, you know, I wish I could give more detailed examples or give detailed examples of this, but I'm not not uh, going to be able to. But um, for instance, um, what um, Soviet what the Soviet government um, did with science right um, in this regard right or in, in this case we, mm-hmm. we see it with chernobyl and um, right i mean i think it was said explicitly uh, again by one of the physicists we heard from sort of how um, science and physics was the laws of physics right mm-hmm. were being held captive to yeah. politics yeah um, uh, but um, there's a way in which i think um, centralized um, authoritarian control of the message can go so far that even sort of, um, right. Things that should be hard, sort of hard stops, right. That you mm. push up against the laws of physics, mm-hmm. right. They kept referring to mm-hmm. the laws of physics, um, that should be sort of respected are, are mm. just sort of, you know, ridden over rough sh- rough very like, well, well said. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's anyway. I don't
0: know. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's yeah. The fact is, there was a um, radioactive, a highly dangerous radioactive cloud over these people's heads, and they were somehow able to trust this, and that was a fact. <laughs> a right. Deadly radioactive cloud, and uh, but yeah, they were somehow able to just just ignore that uh, because of because of faith in the state.
2: Right. And and it's sort of things being taken to such an extreme. I mean, this this was interesting to me for for you know quasi professional reasons mm-hmm. of the relationship between science and society. And um, uh, like I said, there are there are other nice examples that I I can't speak about in detail. Mm-hmm. But um, right now, but that um, of uh, the Soviet government um, really holding the science hostage to the political agenda in mm-hmm. a way that you know just results in in. Falsity, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Um, yeah. Being
1: accepted. Yeah. Well, and I think Angela's right that it's a, that it's a matter of degree. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, so some of the examples that you give, like, are our nuclear scientists under surveillance by the government? Probably. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to think that um, Americans in this sort of situation would respond more like the East Germans did in mm-hmm. this situation. So, right. it's still another group of Soviets. Mm-hmm. I'm doing f- finger quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but their response, with even the little bit more information that they had, was to advocate for themselves and say, we need protection, we need this, we need that, and if you're not going to give it to us, we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So to to gain and then act on a certain amount of information to to not necessarily be um, a voice of dissent, but to be your own educated advocate, I think there's a greater sense of that here mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm.
2: than at this book at this time. Mm-hmm. Now. Go ahead. Mm. I was just gonna say, and it, it's not obvious. I mean, I had fun playing with perspective, right, and reading reading through this mm. um, because I was trying really hard not to just play the oh, the misguided, you know, Soviet government. Totally. Eye roll. Um, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I think is really interesting about that is that um, uh, there's definitely a contrast, right? And I think, yeah, I like I like the East German visitor case, right, as as sort of a window that some of the people had into. Um, what the other side of what the other way of approaching it would look like, um, but it doesn 't have to it 's not obvious that um, the total buy in to right mankind versus myself is the like flawed silly perspective um, versus right the the right like the the passage uh, that you read um, Becky about um uh, right the great war right versus mm-hmm. you know um, People in a certain circumstance sort of have the luxury of believing in the something bigger, right? Mm-hmm. And saying, well, sure, I'll volunteer, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. I don't know what the personal health costs will be to me, mm-hmm. but you know, it's for something big. It's for something bigger than me that-, that I'm gonna be a hero. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, that I will die for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if, if that's uh, what's in the cards. Um, and this comes up, I think, in um, a few places. People reference um, sort of what's lost with Chernobyl, right? And how the people nowadays don't get it, right? Mm-hmm. They don't get the, the old literature. They don't, or sorry, the old, yeah, the old literature. They don't um, uh, have the same sort of um, worldview, mm-hmm. right? And, and those sorts of descriptions sort of are, are one bit of um, uh, window into the idea of this transition to sort of self-preservation as being a kind of
0: loss, mm-hmm. right? That you've lost that sort of... Collective, like yeah. the idea of the collective... Collective man as the noble thing, yeah. and, and 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 that's a really good distinction. It's between, yeah, I would say, I, you know, my husband is a is a amateur historian, so I asked him to talk to me about um, the history of Russia, and he talked to me about how it's basically the uh, the this, this story of of Animal Farm, <laughs> like there it, <laughs> there it sounds really cool up front, and the, uh, there's a philosophical approach and idea of collective collectivism uh, and, and co- communism slash socialism, but then thugs get in charge, and the, and that's what happened in to to Russia mm-hmm. in the in the 20th century, quite simply. And when the thugs get in charge, then the authoritarianism, which is the pro- which you're you're saying could be, we could say that might be the problem. The system being, um, I'd say authoritarian and mm-hmm. fascist. I guess um, um, was was the problem. Um, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, there was one. There's one guy. Uh, there's one hardcore. Remember the one hardcore communist at the end? Yeah. He was that guy. shouting. Yeah, he was are you? Get out of here! This it's never even happened. <laughs> like right. whatever he said. Like you journalists stop your being journalists right, and gathering right. data. But it, that, that little, pa- I have to say, that little passage made me think about, and this is one of the topics I wanted to bring up, uh, that this is, this is political, this is a political piece. This is, she's, mm-hmm. she has a point. And, uh, At its she, core, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she and and I, I noticed the data point of one of that that guy who was the one out of all these hundreds of uh, uh, voices that we hear in this book or read in this book. Um, I was thinking, I wonder if she, how many other people like that she ran into, and other people who might have given a rather different perspective. I mean, I don't know. My i 'm with her I, 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 <laughs> she, she got she did what she wanted with me. I think it was, it was awful, and I agree like these this, the stories the bad stories are bad enough that i don 't really care how many of those dudes she saw running around saying communism's great right um, but I do. I wanted to see what you guys thought about just a political reading a political piece of journalism, I guess, and how you felt about it
1: so I have to say that it didn't um as I was reading this, it did not explicitly register with me that this is a political piece. Mm-hmm. And it is, it obviously is. Mm-hmm. She has a point of view that she wants to express and she has a criticism that she wants to make, mm-hmm. but she does it without without slapping you in the face mm-hmm. with the idea that this is um, a, a criticism. Although maybe, like you said, having gone to grade school and elementary school, when mm-hmm. we did, we were, were conditioned to accept that as mm-hmm. an underlying fact mm-hmm. to all of this mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Um, but i th- I thought it was really well done in that way that that from my perception, it was a very subtle but very effective mm-hmm. piece of political work
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: i do think I think there's another type of voice that you get on the same side of of the issue as the right my favorite line of the person that you were talking about, right, was, I'm not a, I'm not a drunk, I still like communism, or something <laughs> like that. Right. <laughs> like, right, thanks for that additional con, uh, context. Uh, oh, for a lot remarks. of vodka in this book, by the way. Yeah, lots of <laughs> vodka. Um, well, it's amazing. That was probably the most pervasive belief, right, is that if you drink, what, half a liter of vodka a day... It gets rid of the radiation. No radiation. <laughs> um,
0: I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't look it up. Did you, did you Google that? If that was effective at all, who knows? <laughs> I, wish, I wish we had a nuclear engineer in here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> For that reason I'll but But uh, the, uh,
2: the other voice that I think you got on that side of things, which it took, I mean, okay, so back up if you don't mind a little bit, just mm. because I think this is an interesting um, related point, is... Um, I felt like there's some amount of repetitiveness in some of these short accounts that I get over and over. But it occurred to me that the repetition was actually making things sort of dawn on me and break through to me in a way that they wouldn't if I just heard them once. Mm -hmm. So one instance of that is, right, I had my immediate reaction of, right, when they talk about, you know, to the extent that I can understand the the ridiculously high levels of um radiation, yeah. right? Yeah. Um just ridiculously mm-hmm. high. Mm-hmm. Um and so my, you know, gut reaction is, heck, take that iodine yeah. and get out of there. Get mm-hmm. your kids out of mm-hmm. there, you know, leave yeah. immediately right. mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. or the whole town or whatever, but mm-hmm. just do it, mm-hmm. right? Um and something that eventually dawned on me with again with repetition is mm-hmm. um that there's a way in there's a way in which for certain types of people living in the area that wasn't a solution and it wasn't a welcome idea, even mm. if they bought into the disaster, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you got, that, got the, the view from people who had been relocated eventually mm. of um, like the deep sense of loss. Again, certain, mm-hmm. certain types of people, right? right. But if, if there were people who were deeply wedded to the land, right, and just wanted to grow mm. their crops, mm-hmm. harvest them, eat... Mm and go back to their house, right? You got the sense that, that sort of, um, basically everything important in life had been lost Mm -hmm. (laughs) when, when they were relocated. Right. Um, if they were never allowed to return. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so the reason I see that as another voice on the other side of the issue is, um, it was communicated, I feel like at least a few times of sort of, You know, what is this science or technology or big government to us? You Mm -hmm. know, this is like, we have this deep relationship to this beautiful land that Mm -hmm. we live in. And if that land is poisoned now, so are we. We're Mm -hmm. part of the land, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. Right. Shrug. And so that doesn't give a good reason to say not distribute iodine, but (laughs) (laughs) it does suggest that that sort of, you know, my initial read of it of, well, save the people, deal with this, you know, might... Um, be missing part of the story, and mm. it, and for some reason I'm grasping now to to think why I saw that, saw this as part of the issue that you were you were talking about, but um, the issue that you raised, Gabby. But um, I guess I saw that as sort of, and respect for um, people with um, that reaction mm. as a motivation for. Um, Avoiding a fully individualistic sort of um, reaction yeah. uh, to, to the situation, Yeah, like that. Which, yeah,
0: so the, you're, there's a term that I had never read or heard of, which I might not pronounce correctly, cold co- quotes, cold um, um and it is, it's a collective farm, which mm-hmm. is part of, uh, these are in Israel too, right? There's a word for, there's a, there's a. Kibbutz. Yeah. Isn't it in Israel? it kibbutz? I think it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> we're here we're getting word from outside. <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> so yeah, it's this I mean it's and I it's sort of talking about the land actually reminds me of Israel because there are these um that that's like that's a a thing. Is like what what is it, without our land we are nothing. Without mm-hmm. our land we are it doesn't you know this this argue, So people are saying you know just leave or just give up the give up the Gaza Strip or whatever. And it's like no 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 like it's it's a sort of cultural thing that perhaps people who are not members of said culture can understand the importance of just the soil literally the land. Um, Mm-hmm. and but but the interesting thing about that like circling around with the point you just made is that communism instilled that in these people the the communist government instilled that in these people that this is your this is your land this is your coats, you 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 are here you're working for the greater good the betterment of our of our broader mankind the collective blah 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 maybe they didn't even have that before and it's like the c- communism is what made them feel that way in the first place and then communism is the same reason that they were like, they didn't have any way to leave the land, mm-hmm. so.
1: So without any basis in um, knowledge, <coughs> I'm gonna disagree with you. Yeah, On great, this, good. I, I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think my, per- my perception was um, <coughs> that these, um, these workers, these farmers, the people who were living out in very rural parts of Ukraine and Belarus were the ideal for communism, that mm. their very simple farm life, the workers yeah. that they were, were probably um, you know held, held up as this kind of ideal for the culture. And the, the idea that they didn't want to leave, that they were so attached to their communities and to their land and to their processes and whatever else they were doing, to the plan that they were working on... Mm probably was really admired by people who would have been like communist purists. Mm -hmm. These people are so committed to where they are and what they're doing and so attached to their community that they cannot be moved. Like there was a description I think, in one of the earlier parts of the books about a community that essentially was like going out to these relocated groups and finding their people and bringing them back Mm -hmm. to reestablish the community that they had lost. And there was another point in the book where one of the liquidators who was visiting this this rural area for the first time was making the connection that these people had been doing the same thing for 100 years, for 1,000 years they had been harvesting these potatoes, planting this wheat, eating these cucumbers, Mm. and they weren't going to be changed, they weren't going to be moved. Mm -hmm. And I think probably more than, I I disagree that that communism inspired that, I think it's vice versa. Mm. Um, Mm. But it, it, so it was so interesting interesting to me that these people who are probably the communistic ideal Mm -hmm. are the people who are harmed the most by Mm -hmm. this convoluted form of communism Mm. that was in charge Mm. um, when all of this was happening.
0: So here is a here's a little logic issue for us all which is that this so uh I guess perestroika which is again a term that I remember hearing a lot um throughout this time uh but I didn't really know what it meant but it it's it's uh Gorbachev's like move away from communism sort of opening up of of the Soviet Union at the time um <clears throat> I think was I think it's actually this isn't even like uh, contentious point to make that this helped that along like everyone was like mm-hmm. oh yeah it's it's true communism's not working <laughs> like <laughs> check this out <laughs> and so then like then the berlin wall fell and you know the, mm-hmm. all these like belarus uh and and this so yeah this happened ukraine and belarus got their got to be independent again so it's like one of those things where it's one of those, um, again, logic problems where all this suffering and death and pain and et cetera did bring about something, something else uh, in, a, in a real way. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> <Good>.
1: <laughs> I, I, think that's probably, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, I think... Um, to a certain extent, this was something that they could not cover up, that they couldn't hide, that right. you know, you can do a lot of things to prevent information from right. getting out, but this is not something that you could totally cover up, right. that eventually you were gonna be exposed to the outside and eventually mm-hmm. the outside was gonna be exposed to you mm-hmm. because of this in a lot of ways. So I think you're right that it probably was um, uh, an accelerator mm-hmm. for that sort of change. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So can we pause to talk a little bit about um the, shall we say, paradoxical way in which the um the government managed uh the aftermath of, of Chernobyl? Because yeah. this is where some of the like good um you know train wreck goodies mm-hmm. <laughs> of the book are. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't have to put on my like careful thinking hat and <laughs> see the other side, but uh, I, I can just sort of go, Oh my god. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 wait yeah, yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um so um uh, one one little example that I happen to remember, just because um, I, I was towards the end of the book, and and I uh, read it aloud to um, to my husband when I was talking about this this feature of the the book was um, that uh, right? You had um, the person you guys might be able to fill in some of the details. The person close to um, well in in the zone, right? Mm-hmm. Who had um, been involved in soil samples being sent out for analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he was then called and asked to provide uh, transport for secure transport for the soil sample back <laughs> mm-hmm, right. into the zone. He said, "You've got to be kidding me, really? <laughs> you know what was it like? Three hundred, not three hundred kilometers, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Three, yeah. 400, yeah. 400 yeah. kilometers. Okay." Yeah. Um, and uh, and they said, "Well, yeah. I mean, this is nuclear waste. It <laughs> needs to be you know buried and covered in cement." Yeah. And uh, and you know he's sitting. He then said something like. And right I'm surrounded by people who are you know from the same soil, mm-hmm. growing their cucumbers and tomatoes, mm-hmm. eating their cucumbers and tomatoes, mm-hmm. and going about their lives mm-hmm. right right it's such a I mean that's why sort of paradox came to mind right mm-hmm. that that you get the when things are sort of officially handled in the few cases when when events uh, uh, and items, right, or if, are handled in the way that they sort of officially should by mm-hmm. protocol. Mm-hmm. It's so out of keeping with everything else that's yeah. going on that yeah, it just yeah. it brings everything into such yeah. sharp relief. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then about, I, I was struck by this is. Uh, this is not really, uh, directly related to what you're saying, but there, um, I was just struck by how many things we, we heard, you know, throughout the book multiple times about just things being sent away on the open market for mm-hmm. one it yeah. may, Maybe it's similar. Cause maybe it was like, get this out of here. I don't know what, like dispose of this. I was like, okay, we'll go sell it in, yeah, in right, Berlin right. or Moscow. It's going to go to Moscow and Someone will eat it. Okay. Oh, yeah. They
1: were eventually selling milk that was labeled separately, milk for adults, milk for children, yeah. Then eventually yeah. it was just all unlabeled milk. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was just no no indication of where uh, it was from. But then the other thing that I thought was interesting is that there was somebody who was taking around a foreign journalist, and they were looking for oh, the yeah. graveyard of all the equipment that had right, been used, right. all the radioactive yeah. equipment, yeah. and you know, they're being that sent in different buried. directions. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. supposed to be buried and totally disposed of. And they're being sent in different directions by all these people, and eventually it d- it dawns on the tour guide and he has to figure out a way to explain <laughs> to these people like the stuff has been stolen yeah. the stuff has You've been dug up
2: seen it <laughs> in, yeah. l- in London it's been stolen <laughs> yeah. and resold yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not here anymore
0: yeah yeah
2: completely uh, bizarre and yeah. very similar right the protocol for i mean all of this effort went into removing the t- the top layer the top of the soil mm-hmm. everywhere right and right. then burying it and according to protocol it was supposed to be right to some depth in the earth, away from any sources of water, wrapped in plastic mm-hmm. around the base of it, and then dumped in, and then covered, mm. and, right, so one person uh, recounts, right, uh, the conversation between uh, someone with an excavator or whatever who digs the hole, and the person telling him to dig, He says, okay, well, points over there. Well, how about over there, right? Mm. No, no investigation of groundwater mm. done, and then the holes dug and, and he asked the person with the, with the excavator, how deep is it? And he says, I don't know. I stopped when I hit water. <laughs> and then they dump the soil <laughs> in that <Yeah, laughs> they, right. they collected yeah, yeah. and then they're done. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> things have been made better. Oh
0: man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Can so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, th- yeah, yeah, so yeah.
2: there, I had a jumping off point from that, that, that I thought um, I might be a good time for me to add in, which is that um the flip side of that, like I said, I wanted to talk about that because it 's where you get to just shake your head and put your head in your hands and say mm-hmm. what you know what was the people and and I mean the people making decisions, what were they thinking right but um towards towards the end of the book, I also started again putting back on my sort of careful thinker mm-hmm. looking at different perspective side um I also started to recognize um the danger in me reading this book and more generally me thinking of Chernobyl in a way that is, to a greater or lesser degree, kind of um, exploitive, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so there's a way in which one can engage with this like you're looking at a car accident, mm-hmm. right? And sort of thrilling at the, the awfulness of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's also a way in which these events could be appropriated in ways that I think we've kind of touched on already, ways um, that this event and how it was handled can be appropriated, right, for a particular political Mm -hmm. agenda or just criticism of a political Mm -hmm. agenda, et cetera, that all of these seem somehow like we're kind of I don't know that mm-hmm. the, right, I know I'm inclined to say it, like the Western gaze or something mm-hmm. is doing some disjustice, or sorry, injustice mm-hmm. to to the people involved. No,
0: I, I, I yeah, that's something that I um, thought about, and I think, but not as uh, well articulated in my own mind as what you just stated. And I think, um, because I, uh, I, I mean, uh, yes, on a totally selfish, completely selfish, not political, not, not like academic uh, way I just find this interesting like it's very strange to think of acute radiation poisoning and like what happens when there's a huge nuclear disaster and why right. again like scientifically why does it happen but it's definitely not not an I'm, I'm articulate maybe I'm really good at making the excuse for myself <laughs> because <laughs> I'm articulating like it's academic but it's not I'm I, it is it is I do feel that way like like ooh, was it gross sort right. of I, I, and, yeah uh, yeah it's exploitative and uh so and, yeah.
1: that that brings me back to something that we talked about a little bit at the beginning of this discussion, which is, do either of you know whether we're her intended audience for this book? Because I, I feel like when I read a little bit about her when she was given um, the Nobel Prize earlier this year, that this book was was written for the Eastern gaze. It yeah. wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. written for us. Right. Yeah. So... To the extent that she's sharing information and sharing criticism with people about themselves, does it feel less exploitative than for us to, you know, read
2: through gore?
0: Mm. Go yeah,
2: I, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and it, it it's a good point. Um, uh, I do think that you get the sense from some of the people who are interviewed that it's a sort of, they're the people who are Chernobylites, and then there's everyone else. Yeah. And to the extent mm-hmm. that the audience is anyone else, mm. we're being viewed, you know, we're, we're being sort of animals on display here. Mm. Um, That's a good uh, point. In a way that, I mean, it comes up in a lot of different ways, right? You, it, we read about the the old women who learned how to cry at the right time, mm. right? And get mm-hmm. extra gum mm-hmm. for the children mm-hmm. um, yeah. when, when people were visiting. Or, um uh, or, right, just anger, right, mm-hmm. at the idea of, like, you know, anywhere I go, I'm going to be a seen as a Chernobylite. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh,
1: the men and women who can't get married, who feel like it would right. be irresponsible for them to have a family. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's a poignant, that was a poignant um, sort of note. Uh, yeah, that's, Angela, you just reminded me of, yeah, I, have, I d- spent a few years working in de- in international development, and that that's, that's a thing in general, in international development. Like, people, uh, yeah, sort of, people do... I want to say this um again sort of acknowledging my own guilt in, in 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 being like this but there there yeah going to communities that are extremely impoverished there's this way of like viewing the community as an other mm-hmm. and then it's it's um and the community members view anyway. Maybe I'm just a communist and I believe in collectivism. <laughs> we're, we're all the same. We should all work together to make the world a better place. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, so we've gone a little bit long. So um, any, other, any other, I have one final question, but any other points that we've missed out on? There's a lot of, I, I, there are a lot of beautiful passages and we'll, I'll get to whether I'll, whether you all re- recommend this book um, at the end end. But first, I wanna ask, a qu- challenge us all to say And I'll start first, um, because this is kind of a hard question, I think. Um, But the biggest lesson um, that I um, am going to take away, try to take away from this book, or that I do take away from this book, um, I think is, uh, I think think the dissent issue, Angela, that you brought up earlier, and sorry if I'm stealing that away from you, and that is your biggest lesson as well, (laughs) but I think, um, I think again, as I talked earlier, I think when we talk about faith in the state, um, I don't. I, it's really hard for me to distinguish um, the faith in the state that I read in this book from the faith in the state that I hear people having here in our in our state. I think um, people are would argue that there is more of a chance to voice dissent in some ways, but in other ways, I'm not so sure. Maybe I think one of the thing one of the examples I would say is that. It's, it's possible to voice dissent in some cases but not actually bring about change um, that's the thing like I'm concerned you know we just had another mass shooting a couple weeks ago and this this sort of silent majority middle of the road group of Americans that I think again is the majority has this opinion about sort of um, acknowledging the Second amend- amendment but but um, making some control of access to weapons part of our legal system. But this super loud um, folks who are leading us (laughs) are are preventing that from happening. So to me, that's an example of, okay, great, yeah, sure, I'll dissent with the state, but the state is still doing something that I'm really, really, really concerned about. And I think most of us are really, really, really concerned about that there's nothing that seems possible to do right now. So so yeah, I think continuing to voice dissent and also create a world where that dissent can be can be put to some use um, to make things better. So, a lesson, Becky, perhaps.
1: I guess th- this is similar, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it a little bit differently. But the the mm-hmm. value of independent thinking and the value of mm-hmm. critical thinking. I mean, I think the o- the only people who um, I shouldn't say the only people, the, but the people who come out best in this retelling of these stories are the people who were able to. Um, analyze the situation on their own, make decisions on their own, and act for their own well-being, and be constantly critical or constantly curious about what was actually happening and what was going on and how it affected them. so all of that, not to say that um, being individually minded is the end game, but being an independent thinker and a critical thinker and being a curious thinker are really critical, not just to being an interesting person, but to being um, part of a well-functioning society.
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. So, I think I, so. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. So, so, um, one of the causes of some of the themes that we talked about, right? The paradoxical management of the disaster, and then also this sort of the unwillingness of people to leave their land. Um, One of the main causes of that we never really talked about, which is um, that, right, sure, there was that rain right after the uh, fire when there were puddles that were apparently as brightly green and yellow as yeah. paint, right? Yeah. But then after that, everything was normal. Yeah. You couldn't right. smell anything, yeah. smelled right beautifully fresh uh, of ozone, right? <laughs> right? Couldn't smell anything <laughs> wrong, uh, couldn't see anything wrong. Virtually no one died right away, yeah. right? right. And, uh, and it was absolutely, I mean, there was a lot of sort of um, human senses sort of betrayed these people, right? In yeah. the sense that we're just not set up to um, identify radiation as a threat and i think that some ge- interesting generalizations can be made from that, that that i found um fairly evocative of um not taking for granted our ability to recognize um, the potential for deep lasting disaster mm-hmm. right that we are yeah. the cause of mm-hmm. um and and that that uh that that, right, we can't, we can't trust that, that uh, we'll have the right sort of um, senses and other apparatus to know when we're um, finally screwing everything up <laughs> loyally, <right? laughs> um, Anyway, and I find that a pretty frightening message. So um,
0: a quote from the book. Everyone found a justification for themselves, an explanation. I experimented on myself, and basically I found out that the frightening things in life happen quietly and naturally, hmm. Just reminds me exactly. so much of what you're saying. Um, whew, chills. Um, so, thanks. And oh, last thing I'll say, um, rec- do you recommend the book to any of our listeners? Yes,
2: absolutely. This
0: is Angela. Um, she says yes.
2: I agree.
1: I recommend it. I think it's an interesting piece of learning. I think it's an interesting piece of sociology.
0: Yeah, I agree. Definite, um, definite thumbs up. Um, be prepared. It's it's uh, tragic. It's very sad, but it's uh,
2: learn from my mistake and don't read it on an airplane. Oh. <laughs> I cried. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, read it in private. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Read it's to be read in private. <laughs> I would agree. Um, okay, thank you for joining us today on the 12th story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile MercantileLib. Uh, today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Uh, special thanks to our guests, Angela Patochnik and Becky Cole. Uh, my name is Gabrielle Blocher. The Twelve Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by... Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantilllibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great weekend.